on today's episode of Diving In. I do think even though it's the same people on both platforms, like I have crossover in my audiences, I do think when people open up a different platform, they're searching for different things. Welcome to Diving In, a podcast aiming to explore the deeper themes behind the entertainment and content creation industries. I'm Leslie Mosier. And I'm Marissa Mullen. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Diving In. Happy Tuesday. Today we have a really great interview, um, something that felt very cathartic for me as a food creator. We are talking to Justine Dorn, also known as Justine Snacks. She is a recipe developer, cook, and content creator with over 1.6 million followers on TikTok and 245,000 followers on Instagram. Her editing style and tasteful healthy recipes are beautiful and addicting to watch. Similarly to Leslie and I, Justine took the leap from working in the entertainment industry to running her food account full-time. In this episode of Diving In, we talk about self-imposed pressures of going freelance, the ever-changing algorithm, the importance of community, and share tips on how to grow a social media account with impact. So let's dive in with Justine Dorn. Welcome, Justine, to Diving In. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Of course. You're coming in from Brooklyn, correct? Yes, tiny apartment in Brooklyn made my makeshift podcast setup. Love it. Love Same. It. I'm right up the right up the river from you. I can wave. So here's how diving in works. We start off with more surface level questions and conversations similar to what you may hear in a normal interview. And as we go on, we dive deeper and explore topics that are more personal, like the internal struggles of the entertainment industry, imposter syndrome, and overcoming health struggles. Start off, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. (laughs) And we're starting on the surface. Um, So Justine... What is your favorite breed of dog, your favorite cheese, and your favorite kitchen gadget? Oh my god, these are all very on brand, and I'm I'm ready. So, favorite dog, I have a French bulldog, and I know you guys have sung the praises of pugs. I think Frenchies and pugs are like both on the same level of cuddly. Oh, and then yeah, I always hate arguing this to people who have never owned either breed though, because they just don't understand like how those types of dogs are attached to at all times. So mm-hmm. highly biased to my French bulldog. Oh. Favorite kind of cheese. I am in a phase and I'm going to mispronounce it. I mispronounce actually every ingredient on the internet. That's why it's been my downfall. Um, me- Mimonette. Mimolette, the orange Mimolette. cheese. Oh, yes, the so very, good. very orange cheese. Okay, so I've been in this phase where you take smashed potatoes, you put a little bit of lime juice on them right before you put them under the broiler for like the last crisping. And then you do shredded mimolette on top. Oh my gosh. so good. That sounds amazing. What? My cheese phase right now. So good. And then I forgot the last rapid fire. Oh, your favorite kitchen gadget. (laughs) Oh, okay. Popular knowledge would say it's my food processor, but it's actually my microplane. Because I refuse, yeah, I refuse to chop garlic. So I just microplane garlic all the time. That's such a smart kitchen hack because I also hate chopping garlic so much. I'm just so bad at it. I have my my knife skills are not very good. I need to work on them. But (laughs) with garlic in general, microplaning, that is such a genius hack. I need to do that. It's a great, it's also great for anybody who is in a tiny kitchen. Great tiny kitchen tool. You will use it so in so many ways. I also love your uh, Justine has these little tongs 
for food styling? <laughs> what do you call them again? <laughs> my tweezers, and I call them the pickup artists uh, yes, because so good. I like I I always think I'm like I could totally have been a food stylist in another life, and then I get out my tweezers and I'm like, this is actual hell. I never ever want to do this again. Oh yeah, but like actual have- professional food styling is has nothing to do with food. It's crazy. It's all like science. I get so into those videos on TikTok of them making like a Burger King commercial and they're like spraying it with like shiny stuff and then making it fall from the ceiling. It's it's crazy. I was just about to say on TikTok, there's the New York Times food stylist does like little videos and he takes pasta and he plates it with his hands. And I'm just <laughs> like, that's, it makes sense, but it's so like far away from anything we think about. It's so bizarre. So to kind of start off, a little bit of early life. Can you uh, describe your background and where you're from and what you were like growing up as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what I currently do, I currently do food and recipe development content on the internet. Background-wise, I was like the furthest thing from somebody that you'd expect to be into food. I grew up in like a very Midwest steak and potatoes family, but then my dad got a job opportunity in Hong Kong. So we lived there for five years. Cool. But we still like, like imagine taking a steak and potato family, transplanting them to Hong Kong. (laughs) My mom was like terrified the entire time we lived there. I like got a taste of the culture because I was like in school and stuff, but Then we came straight back to Missouri and I like lived in a very, I want to say like culturally sheltered um, environment growing up. I didn't really like know how to use parsley or fresh herbs until I was like 22 because it was just (laughs) like why we would never buy that. So I went to college and I went to a hotel school because I was like, why not? I like people. I like travel. I didn't realize that that's not what hotels really are. Um, But I ended up doing some culinary classes there. And that's where I kind of got like my taste for food. So it's more just like a roundabout way of like getting really interested in something that I was never exposed to. And then now just becoming like deeply, deeply entrenched in that world. Yeah, I feel like Leslie and I can relate to this just because both of us also kind of fell into our industries of dogs and cheese. It's like you love it when you're growing up, but you never would think it would be so a part of your life. And now every single minute of every day, I'm thinking about cheese. I'm like, I didn't expect this when I studied music business, but okay. (laughs) Did you ever have like growing up like hints that like I remember one of my big hints was whenever my parents would go out to dinner, I'd be like, yes, this means I can bake like yes. without anybody yelling at me. Did you have like cheese hints growing up or like pug hints? <laughs> yeah, I, I love the word hint because it's almost like life has a little precursor to what's going to happen. But for yeah. me, I always just loved making the appetizers at every single gathering. So from when I was like eight years old, it actually started with cookies. My mom would make cookies and I would always – um make a cookie plate for any sort of gathering we had. So I'd arrange them on a platter and like kind of make it look artistic and whatnot. Um, I loved doing that. And then it kind of transferred to cheese when I got a little bit older and I would just always be on cheese plate duty. And it was something that I called dibs on every single time. So that definitely was like the beginning of my passion into cheese plating. Man. Nice. And I would say mine, 
I was so obsessed with wanting to be a veterinarian growing up and I would like take summer like school where I would like go to this vet camp (laughs) and all this stuff. But my mom always shows me these old photos of me. I was like four or five, six, seven years old. And I'm like dressing up our bunny rabbit. And I'm like holding my hamster and putting him in my Barbie house and like taking (laughs) pictures of the animals on set. And I'm like, okay, I guess this was really what I was meant to do because I I always did this even when it wasn't a thing. So completely yeah. translated. I love yeah. it. We all have our calling. Yes, it's true. So how did you get started in the entertainment and PR business? Oh, yeah, I definitely glossed over that. So I went to college for hotels. And then since there's always the intense pressure to have like a career right out of college, the first job I got was working at a talent agency for $12.50 an hour before New York State's minimum wage was higher. I feel um, like. Yes. yes. Um, and like you guys probably know from the entertainment side, like the assistant life is like aggressive and competitive and like all hands on deck uh, in a way that like was kind of, like it kind of took me aback and a part of me really wanted to be like a pantsuit bitch. Um, <laughs> but a part of me was just like, like I was just always internally fighting with myself because I was like, it's just work. Like why take it so seriously? But then another part of me was like, I really want to succeed in this industry. And I was in one of the big talent agencies and I was like, I can see a future for myself here. Um, but the pay was just so low. So I transferred over to publicity Um, and from there I job hopped a bit. I was at ABC news for a year and a half doing publicity for this week with George Stephanopoulos, which is their Sunday political show. And I really liked that job. Um, but there wasn't a lot of growth potential because it was a weekend job and the rest of the team worked weekdays. Mm. So then I switched over to discovery networks where I was working on travel channel and investigation discovery, which is their true crime network. Yeah. And I'm not a true crime girl, but my boyfriend always had to remind me, he was like, your job right now is somebody else's dream job. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Because when I joined, um, it was before the big streaming boom, like when every company had a streaming service. So Investigation Discovery was like neck and neck with Bravo for the top women's network. Wow. Um, Which you wouldn't expect, but it's just because like, people would turn it on and it would be on all day. And I'm a Real Housewives person. So I was like shocked every time that I'd be like that we would beat Bravo in the ratings. I'm like, who would give up Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for this? (laughs) It's like you're two different people. Either you're a My Favorite Murder, like Murderina, as they say, or Real Housewives. (laughs) Murderina? I think that's what they call them, Murderinas. I might be making this up. We'll have to fact check that. (laughs) I'm an ancient aliens kind of girl. High quality content. I will say it's on Discovery Plus if anyone wants to stream it. (laughs) That's just how I got into entertainment. And I honestly did not want to leave. But you guys know this. You kind of just like trip and fall and end up on the content creation side. And I think that's just like how that happened. Yeah, I can totally relate to, um, you know, the, the drive and want to rise in the ranks of entertainment industry and having to deal with that pay because same thing like working where I used to work um, after you know you you take the hourly rate and then 
divided by all of the hours that you work. Um, it was it's impossible to live in New York City. It's like you know it it's so it it makes it such a, a almost um, privileged environment to work in because. I I was living like deep in Bushwick with like four roommates, but like I had people who would be at my company who were living in the West Village in one bedroom apartments. And I'm like, how, how are they? We're also assistants, right? Like we're making the same salary. And it is really difficult to, you know, be in a place like that if you don't come from money and, mm-hmm. you know, just see people rising because they have that backing. And a company like, you know, Discovery or CBS they make so much money and like the disparity of wealth between like the high ups and the assistants is so massive. It just like, it made me so frustrated. And I think it was one of the reasons why I tried to get out quicker because it was just like, I felt like I wasn't being respected for all the work I was putting in. Yeah. And I, I felt like bogged down against my peers because I was in the exact same situation. I can think back. It was everybody starts out in Bushwick apartments, it feels yeah. like, because that's the <laughs> only place that's affordable. Totally. And even then I was paying $875. I'll always remember my first rent for like one room in a three bedroom. And I can't believe like the squalor that I lived in. And then <laughs> when you come to work, you have to look presentable and act a certain way and like go along with the the happy hours and then like the nightlife and extracurriculars that go with it. And I just felt like I was like, I can't keep this up for five years and match what my peers are doing. Like, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. It's crazy. I found myself, I had a similar position, but I worked as an assistant for someone in the music industry. So it was like way more chill. Like I did not have to like look nice for work or anything, but I was definitely getting paid $10 an hour, could hardly afford Chipotle or rent, um, just constant working. And I think it's what launched me into my passion of like the photography with Doug is because it was my escape after work. You know, Mm. it was like, I don't want to be in my black mold film apartment. I want (laughs) to I want to be outside with Doug, you know, doing something fun. And then that's how photos started. And then the photos turned into social media. So it's like I was able to find an escape in something that was actually my passion. And then there was that moment where my brain was like, no, this is what you actually are meant to be doing. This is this is what you thought would make you feel cool or make you feel, you know, what you moved to Nashville for. But it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up kind of falling into food content and was it because of TikTok? It was because of my job actually. So oh, right. I I miss this aspect of my job at Discovery where I was the youngest person on the team. Now all my peers are Gen Z and I'm just like <laughs> what how did I get here? Learning um, so much every day from them. <laughs> I I am learning that we're no longer trying to be girl bosses. This oh, is Oh yeah, news no, to that's me. canceled, yeah. Or but also what? cancel culture's canceled too. So I just can't speak. <laughs> oh my god. Accountability culture is now the new cancel culture and we're no longer hustling is what I've gathered. Um which I'm okay with. Yeah, but sure. um <laughs> for my job I the I think it was a little bit before the pandemic hit. Um TikTok was like becoming like a news story and since I worked in PR I knew our talent which is like the people on our shows we're going to want to, they were always like trying to find new angles for social media. And that always was an email that was sent to us, even though technically that like, 
in corporate America, there are so many things that fall under different purviews and nobody really knows how those things are assigned. So they would always end up at PR's desk because we were the most accessible. Um, so I knew that our client, our talent would want to like, we, we needed somebody on the team who knew how to work TikTok. And I was like, okay, I need to be able to learn how to use this platform. And the best way to learn how to use something is to create content for it. Um, but I need to do content that won't show my face and won't get me fired. Um, yeah. And so that was when everybody was doing like dances and lip syncs and like very casual. And I was like, I'm cooking anyways. I'm just going to film it and I'm just going to make the absolute worst TikToks you've ever seen. I used like <laughs> the like every single song that would remind you of 2020 TikTok trends. I used <laughs> oh, yes. um, my first video to go kind of viral, kind of viral. It got like 20,000 likes total. And I was like, I'm famous. Uh, was uh, me making a little like cake that was sushi grade rice, sushi grade salmon, nori, and avocado. Ooh, and I called it like a little sushi layer cake. And so when that went viral, I was like, okay, this app is like a joke. It's just for kids. Yeah. Um, and then I started to do, I started to get a little hooked on it. That's how they, they, <laughs> how they get you. Yeah. That's how they get you. Actually. And so then I started making like, again, content really geared towards number one, going viral, which I could not even like imagine making content with the goal of virality anymore, but that's a whole Mm. other thing. Um, And I think that comes as you progress as a content creator. But at the time I was looking for things that were like 30 second videos that I knew would get likes that I knew would make people like go like, whoa. And so I was making like stuff that I'm really not proud of. Uh, but like, uh, like four ingredient pancakes, uh, I'm trying to think just like little kitschy things. And then that account started to grow and then I started to take it more seriously. And then it just started to snowball from there. I have always been a fan of taking apple cider vinegar shots, but honestly shudder at the vinegar burn aftertaste. Fortunately, Paleo Valley has an apple cider vinegar complex. This supplement takes all of the healing properties of apple cider vinegar into your daily diet without that fuss of the vinegar burn in a simple pill. Apple cider vinegar has been shown to support with digestion, breaking down proteins for better absorption, improving blood sugar response to cravings, and more. Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex is combined with turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and lemon for other added benefits of digestion. As someone who's always surrounded by cheese and charcuterie, I have to find a way to balance out my diet and treat my body with care. Paleo Valley's products have been such a game changer for me to feel healthier day to day. Check out paleovalley.com slash diving in to get 15% off your first order. That's paleovalley.com slash diving in. In addition to the apple cider vinegar complex, they have so many other amazing supplements on their site. So check it out and let us know what you think. Was there a video that like made you realize like this is a thing? Like I want to quit my job. I, you know, need to take this so seriously. Um, I... Sushi cake was just like my bragging rights video. And then mm-hmm. I did a video that was me making like candied nuts with like candied coconut and chocolate chips and calling it like a Samoa snack mix. And that was the first time I did a voiceover. Mm-hmm. And that's when oh. I realized how easy it is to connect your personality with like 
hundreds of thousands, like hundreds of thousands of people. Like, and that was before reels were invented. Yeah. It feels so long ago. Um, oh my gosh. So, yeah. So that was like nine months before reels were going to be rolled out. And I was like, there is no other platform ever that will let you expose yourself to a million people in two days like that it just it was shocking so I knew that there was power there and I knew that there was going to be momentum there maybe in a year like maybe that would last a year and then it would go away maybe it would be I just knew that there was potential coming to TikTok and then when I found out that I actually wanted to do it for a job was actually when my company told me you can't do it anymore. And that's oh when I was like, how did okay, they find well, out you were whoa. doing it? Like, cause you weren't showing so, your face. Right. And you weren't. I, I just disclosed my last name to the public a month ago. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. I was anonymous for, um, like I was fully anonymous for, um, all the way up until I quit my job. And then I finally just like screwed. I need my, to tell people my last name. Yeah. But, um, I was like very private about everything. And so in 2021, my company being very corporate sent around a disclosure form, like, Hey, if you're moonlighting, you need to disclose that to us. Or if you have any like side projects that are profitable, you need to tell us the reason why is because a lot of people took the 2020 work from home. Um, and they took advantage of it. And like, people would have like a job at the Home Depot, but then also their job at Discovery. <laughs> oh my it was, gosh. <laughs> so it wasn't directed at me, but the in the ethics committee email, they said like, if you have a YouTube channel or anything, you need to disclose it as well. So my boss knew about it because like we would joke about it at work. Um, so I told her, I was like, I'm going to disclose this like just to cover us. And then in three weeks later, I got an email and then there was a lot of back and forth um, to the point where they would allow my accounts to continue, uh, but they wouldn't let me do any brand deals. And Whoa. so that was a blessing in disguise because I was way under charge. I had done like two brand deals at the time, maybe. Um, and I was like the pennies, like no, not even close to a livable wage. And so when my company said, oh, you can't do brand deals, I was still getting approached by brands and I would just give them ridiculous numbers to me. Mm-hmm. And when they said yes, I was like, oh, so that's how content creators make their money is like they actually are getting paid a livable wage. Mm-hmm. And that's when I um, kind of went back to my company and I was like, look, like we I'd really like to work something out. But if we can't, then I'm going to have to leave. Yeah, that's wild. Story. That's like there's a few things there which I want to touch upon. First yeah. is oh, yeah. the fact that your company was like you can't have this side hustle, although A, it has nothing to do com- to compete with your job at Discovery. B, you're doing it in your free time. It's like nothing against – it's not hindering your workflow at all. And they're also paying you minimum wage. So it's like – or, you know, less than – you're probably getting paid less than someone who's working in like finance or law. Yeah. It's just like – do you think that happened because of COVID, like you said, because people were kind of doing these things on the side and like losing focus? Or like, do you think it almost felt like a personal attack? Well, to be fully transparent, the reasoning they gave me, and they gave me a bunch of different reasons, but throughout our conversations, the reason they gave me uh, was that it was a conflict of interest uh, because Discovery owns the Food Network. Oh my and- gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Um, but going back, like Discovery was an amazing place to work. It's still an amazing company. I consume 90 Day Fiance, like nobody's business. And they were just having to make a standard for any other content creator in the entire company. So mm. I do not hold them at fault for this. I just yeah. think it's really hard to be the example that a company then has to fall by. So at the time I was really struggling with it, but then I was like, they like now in this world where anybody can be a content creator, companies do need to have those safeguards for people that might not have been as like ethical or as private as I was. Mm -hmm. So I understand it in the end, but it's at the same time, it was just like, it just took me aback when it happened. That's going to be such an interesting thing to watch as time goes on with all these major corporations and these rules because like we were talking about Gen Z, pretty much every Gen Z person has a personality on the internet. You know, that is how they connect with their peers. That is how like they present themselves to the world. And, you know, a lot of them are getting brand deals just for being themselves and for their personality. And so are they going to tell people like, no, you can't have your own funny videos on the internet of you being you. It's it's just an interesting thing to think about because that is the direction that we're heading is everyone is going to be, you know, if your passion is food or if your passion is photography, you're going to like put that on the internet and want to do something with it. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it's going to become an accepted norm because one of my favorite follows, she's about to become a lawyer. Like she just took, is like studying for the bar. And I'm like, I feel like you don't want to throw away talent because they're connected to a media persona. But then another part of me wonders, every content creator I talk to right now is talking about how fatigued they are with being a persona. <laughs> yeah. So I, I <laughs> we all listen to the guys' pod. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but you're at the right place. Wanna, <laughs> but since like we're now almost everybody's expected to be a brand, I'm wondering, are we all going to become fatigued with that and then kind of course correct or self correct back to where people are becoming happier with having like the normal jobs and social not being a huge part of their life. That's what I'm like seeing happening in the next five years or so. Yeah. I always bring this up, but I'm so fascinated. There's like that sub genre group of younger people that call themselves the flip phone kids and they, they don't have iPhones. They only have like flip phones. And there's a part of me that would do anything to have my pink razor back <laughs> and to just have that and to get away from everything for a while. It sounds so appealing, but I would also feel the world's most intense FOMO ever. You know, I would number one feel like I'd have like a week of withdrawal, and mm-hmm. then number two, I used to be able to text like like lightning on my flip phone. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I still have the skill. I oh yeah, T nine word. Completely left me. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's such a good point though. With you know having kind of a a shift of maybe a nine to five is actually what we want because you know I have friends who work nine to fives. They have no like want or need to be a content creator. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just a consumer on social media. And 
they work these nine to five so that they can make money in order to go on vacations and to travel. It's like your life doesn't have to be your job. And I think that's something that a lot of us are realizing in this game because content creation is a 24-hour thing. It's so oversaturated right now. There's so much competitiveness happening. And you don't want to take a step back because then there goes your engagement, which can equal brand deals. And that is your living. And it's like, at what point is that rat race worth it? Like sometimes it does feel nice to me to be like, let me go show up at a place, do my job, but then I can shut my computer off at five and, you know, go on vacation. But at the same time, now that I'm in this space, I love being my own boss and I would Mm -hmm. never want to work for someone else again. So it's kind of dealing with that, um, that two edged sword, which is hard. But I think that there's people out there, you know, who just don't want to be content creators. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. it's cut out for everyone. And I think we'll probably see people making the shift um, eventually. Yeah. My favorite tweet I ever saw was all caps, somebody being like, stop trying to be content creators. We need electricians. And I was like, that (laughs) is fair. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so true. But like, go it like one thing to piggyback off of that. And then we can, we could probably talk about this forever. But I do always wonder though, like if I were to go back to my nine to five, I have so much creative energy, like Mm -hmm. such a, and I think that's where content creators initially came from is like humans just have like a need to create and to have it seen. Yeah. And so I know I could never like completely abandon content creation. I'm just at the point where it's so much part of my job and a stress of that being my job that the creativity is now dwindling. So it's like that balance is getting really hard. Oh, totally. I mean, I can relate to that so much, especially right now. I just finished my second book and it was so much content at once that I could not post. So Mm -hmm. in addition to that, I'd have to make other content to post just for the sake of posting. And I think back to when I first started that cheese plate and it was when I was working a full-time job in the music industry, so busy, but made time to make these cheese plates for my friends. And it felt like such a pure, creative, fun, like magical experience that definitely has dwindled. And I've been recently kind of grappling with this feeling of like, okay, I need to, it's it's more of like, I need to do this now because of social media, not like I want to do this just to bring friends together. And I'm trying really hard to get back to that. And for me, that's been like taking a step back from content creation and literally just taking a break, which I know I text you about it all the time. I'm like, Justine, what do you do? But I feel like you have a lot of really great advice, like with the, um, you know, you told me like, you don't need to post every day. And I was like, wait, what? I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something that's so I, simple that helps so much. You guys like continuously blow my mind with the volume that you're posting. I post three days a week and that even feels like a lot to me. But I think that also goes to content creation being so oversaturated right now is like people want to miss you. Mm-hmm. And like, even my, I posted today and I was like, I feel like I'm posting too like soon And it's just, it's like a weird balance. I don't know. Yeah. I, when I first started with Doug the Pug for three or four years, we posted two photos a day every single day and did not, I, I, it was like, I, I prided myself on that to an unhealthy level to where it was like a, a bad thing if I missed one of those posts a day and in one way, it really propelled us. And it was at the height of Instagram and Facebook. So it was constantly pushing us into the algorithm and helping things, you know, get bigger and whatever. But now I cannot even imagine a world where I would 
do that to myself again. And like you, I feel like I post around three, three, four times a week now for Doug maybe. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with this, but it is, it's not healthy to constantly be thinking of, you know, what, what do I have to do today? What do I have to post? It's, it's, it's more so like, what would feel really good? What would be fun to like make? And then the internet gets to see it. But what can I do for myself today or for Doug or for, you know, a cheese spread or a recipe that would feel really good to share with people? And it's, it's a hard mindset to switch around. Yeah. And also when you feel that authentic urge to create something that you want to make and not to follow a trend and not to compete with, you know, oh, I saw this person make a recipe that went viral. I'm going to do the same thing so I can go viral. It just feels so much better to create that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like for you, Justine, like you create food and you create very accessible recipes. And so your recipes, are they just part of your everyday life of like what you would be eating anyways? Or do you kind of like plan it around what you see on the internet with like what people like? Well, this is actually, if we're going from surface level to like deeper level, I'm having like a really hard time reckoning my content and how it mixes in with my life because Mm -hmm. I get comments all the time of like, you eat so like, well, I just want to eat like you like, or um, or like, this is like, like your life is so peaceful. Like you just like cook and then you post it and, or just like all these assumptions on you. And, um, all these recipes come from like the main inspiration. I usually start with how I want something to look mm-hmm. or what I actually want to eat. So for example, I made like a polenta the other day that had edamame blended into it. Cause I wanted something like bright green and interesting looking, it didn't come out as well as I wanted it to, but I still put it on the internet. Um, and like, that is something that I would normally really love to eat. But when I'm in the creation space and when I'm staging it and like, I sometimes get so hungry, but I'm in the middle of filming and it's not done. So I have like an avocado toast standing while I'm watching this polenta boil. And then by the time the polenta is done and staged, I'm like, I only want to eat half of this. And then it's like, And now my fridge is filled with leftovers because, wow, we're really getting into it. I had to refill my quinoa. You are speaking my language. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, all these things, like, if we do, I say this to everybody I talk to who's in food with me, our job, if we do it well, is supposed to look super easy. Like, it's supposed to look like we put our phone up, took 30 minutes to cook it, because all my Mm -hmm. recipes can be done in, like, an hour tops even my most complicated ones, if you're not filming it. And so if we do it well, then people will get the impression that's like, oh, she just made this for lunch. But um, what I'm struggling with right now is every Monday I plan out my grocery list, I plan out my menu and how I'm going to eat and source and do my leftovers, and it all goes to shit by the end of the week. So it's, it's, um, it is the easiest thing to complain about. And I am so blessed that this is my problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still difficult um, because a big part of my brand on TikTok, but I try not to talk about it on Instagram a lot, is I come from like a background of really, really disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so having like 
having food now be my job, I was like, wow, I really did make life as hard as possible for myself. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like what I love creating. So it's that like back and forth, you know? Definitely. I feel like that theme of excess with like leftovers and with, especially in food content creation, it's so hard because I mean, with the cheese plates I make, like these plates can feed probably like four to six people. I'm not sitting there eating the entire cheese plate after I make it. Like I've put it back in my fridge. I have a whole cabinet that is all like prop nuts and like prop crackers that are stale as hell, but like I just reuse them on plates. Like there's so much disillusion to it. And I think Mm -hmm. that is really getting to the point of like, wow, what am I even doing anymore? Like this started as literally me making plates and inviting all my friends over and all of us sitting around having this gathering together, setting a mood, setting a vibe. And that's like, missing because now I'm just alone in my apartment making these plates just for Instagram. And I can totally relate to you with that of like, you know, there are days where I'm like, oh, I really want like caprese salad and I'll make it for Instagram and I'll eat it. But usually by the time I eat it, it's like been sitting out for two hours and it's like not even that good anyways. Um, so it is really hard. And it yes, it's one of those things that I'm so blessed. I do not want to complain about it, but everyone has their own journey and dealing with their own struggles. So don't feel guilty for complaining about something that is a part of your life that you feel mm-hmm. stressed out about. Um, but I think like with content creation and food, like that's something to be said, you know, it's like, how can we have these jobs that are more sustainable with food, you know, and not have people expect us to be cranking out these massive creations all the time. Um it's it's hard because for me, I'm not a caterer. So a lot of the other cheese plate accounts online are catering businesses. So the cheese plates they make, they sell. So I'm I'm similarly dealing with uh, that concept. And that also like hits me hard because sustainability is such like a core belief system of my own. So all of my food is now going to like community fridges because I just, or my neighbors mm-hmm. who are technically their own tiny community fridges. Because yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's hard to justify having all of this like around, but then at the same time, it's like part of your job. And I have to tell myself like bakeries throw out stuff all the time. So like, it's just, it's difficult because then I also work with brands that are very, very sustainability focused. And it's like, it's just making sure to live that core messaging system, but also not like go nuts with trying to execute it all. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I also think on the topic of authenticity, you know, that's a hard thing to put on the internet to be truly authentic when it comes to food because there are going to be days where you, you know, the public almost expects that perfection, the beautiful bright colors and everything to be so well put together. But in reality, I'm sure while you guys are making your stuff, sometimes you just want to like throw it together and, you know, throw the napkin and whatever and not have it be uh, aesthetically pleasing or you want a juicy burger or something like that. And that can, I can imagine feel hard. I have an interesting perspective as I am not at all a foodie. My husband is like a very awesome cook and he pretty much cooks all the time. If it were up to me, I'd be like eating frozen waffles and just like getting by and being malnourished. (laughs) Um, So I think what you guys do is, is just incredible. And it's like, it truly awes me because I would never think to create 
these recipes and do all this stuff. But from my perspective, it looks so effortless, like you were saying, but it, it actually like, it takes so much time. Marissa will send me a picture of her kitchen after she makes like a page for the book. And it is like a bomb went off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it, I wonder how we can show our followers, even with a Doug photo, people think it's this, you know, simple thing. And for Doug, it's very simple, but there's so much <laughs> behind the scenes of me looking up props online and getting this shipped from here and doing this to the house and blah, blah, blah. Like, but do people even want to see how hard it is? Is everyone just living in this illusion of like, everything's perfect? Mm-hmm. I was having this exact conversation with a friend the other day. She was like, people don't like, if people don't like it when you're honest about how, about trying hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were applying it back to like people who want to be content creators. Like if you're out there and you're listening and you're pursuing content creation and your audience is really small, the hardest part of that space right now is being open about pursuing it mm-hmm. because everybody judges it or they don't want they don't want to know about all the effort or the messiness. They just want to see the completion. But I think that's what's beautiful beautiful I think that's what's nice about TikTok right now Mm. is at least TikTok gives me a space to be like very honest Mm -hmm. um and I think also when I was growing my audience that was the beauty of TikTok is I could like unabashedly like really really want to grow my audience on there um which is a roundabout way of saying I do think even though it's the same people on both platforms like I have crossover in my audiences. I do think when people open up a different platform, they're searching for different things. It's funny because Instagram, you know, with your content, it's so beautiful. It's so bright. It's colorful. And um, similar to mine, you know, it's like that bright aesthetic and that very clean, minimalist look. And I, all the time on TikTok, I see these videos go viral. That's like a dirty, dark kitchen and <laughs> someone's making like something so basic. In their pajamas. In their pajamas. Like, and they're just like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I love that you went viral yeah. for that. Like, thank you. We need more of this, you know? Actually, and those type of videos are the ones that calm me. There's another creator, I won't mention their at, but she was asking me advice. She was like, what camera do you use? Which I use an iPhone. I think that's all anybody needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Didn't you shoot your entire book on an iPhone? Yep. And the second one. (laughs) Because I'm just like, it looks good. And I can control the angles. And like, it's what I know. It's what I love. And Mm -hmm. It's just, and I can take photos for the cookbook and then also take videos at the same time right after it. And it's all in one place. So why not? A camera is a camera. Yeah. And iPhone cameras are getting good. I know. Um, But she was asking me, she was like, what do you use? And I was noticing her videos went from her in her kitchen. She was popping off. And she was like, do I need to like switch to like nearby my window? Should I buy like a stove, like a induction stove? And I was like, no. Don't Stay. change anything. <laughs> Don't make your life harder for yourself because all I wish, my videos started in um, a green tiled and not like a cute aesthetic green tile, like a emerald green tiled brown granite 80s cabinets kitchen in Hoboken. Love that was it. my quarantine kitchen. Um, and it was the ugliest background ever. <laughs> but those videos did so well. Yeah. And I miss it. <laughs> It's weird how we it's weird how we think we need to change. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, so 
going back to your relationship with food, do you feel that being vulnerable about your own inner healing and also working with food now, something that used to be or probably maybe is still a challenge, has that helped you? I have felt incredibly healed throughout the process of content creation. Mm. Um, And it has challenged me, but also helped me in a way that I did not expect. So I feel that in both how I deal with food and also how my audience has changed and empowered me. Um, I'll go through those one by one. But when I first started my food accounts, I was what I would call, quote unquote, recovered. I was about two years into being believed, like um, trigger warning for anybody who has suffered with this before uh, or eating disorders, but I was two years into bulimia recovery. Uh, so, and I felt like really good about it. I felt really like healed, quote unquote. Um, but I still was very weird about certain foods. Like I didn't have any or much dairy in my diet. Uh, like, and I didn't realize how much of a like choice that was until I started making cooking videos and I was making, even though I'm not vegan, I was making vegan recipes and like, when I look back, I'm like, oh, that was definitely like tied to still thinking that there was a right way and a wrong way to consume certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So just by like making recipes and then wanting to have more freedom in how I made recipes, I was able to like subconsciously work through a lot of things. And my audience on TikTok saw me change and I kind of felt like they were coming with me. Mm. And then I started my Instagram. Um, wow. I would say six months after my TikTok. And I remember sitting on my bed and like looking at my boyfriend being like, oh my God, I have 17 followers. Like they were not connected platforms at all. Um, And I made like a very tactical choice on my Instagram to really only talk about my recovery. Like if somebody asked about it from TikTok or like in stories and not make it a big part of my account because I wanted to also show that like I've seen a lot of like intuitive eating, eating disorder recovery accounts that become so involved in that messaging and like for, and their food accounts as well. Like, cause if you're just a recovery account, that obviously makes sense. But I've seen a lot of food accounts really become like kind of wrapped up in that to the point where it's an identifying factor. Mm. And I wanted to prove that it's like, it's not an identifying factor. Like I really don't think about it that much anymore. Like sometimes it creeps in and I do think it's an important part of who I am, but I also felt incredibly empowered because my audience, like the ones that came from TikTok knew it about me, but they DM me and say like, I appreciate that like you're showing that it, you can just like strengthen your relationship with food by like, st- like loving cooking. Um, and then I also felt empowered because sometimes people don't even care. And I love that. <laughs> like, because for so long, I thought this was just like my identifying factor is I've come through on the other side. And then I realized like I made a TikTok the other day about my relationship with food and usually they would pop the F off because like people are really interested and nosy about that content. Um, and it did fine. But like somebody in the comments was like, I had, I had no idea. And I was like, that's kind of nice. Uh, so it's, it's not me shying away from that part of my background. I bring it up a lot because it definitely is something that will always be like a part of my journey with food. But I do love that I've been kind of able to move just 
into being somebody who just really loves working with food and loves being creative and loves the positive aspects of food. I love that. That's so powerful. I can really talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. To, to even be able, like you said, to look back at older posts and now be able to realize that that was at a certain part of your healing and it's almost like a time capsule. You can see just how far you've come based on what you were cooking and where your mindset was. Um, I think that's a beautiful part about social media is we're essentially creating really um, high def scrapbooks of our lives, yeah. whether we realize it or not. And we're able to look back on times and, you know, with my healing, my endometriosis, I feel a very similar thing with identity being attached to a recovery and, you know, sharing those parts of my life and how, you know, it, it feels, it does feel good when people don't see that as your identifying factor. You're like, I am more than this illness. I am more than this disease. Um, look, look at my cool food, look at my cool dog. But, um, yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing that you're so open with your followers and to be able to like, to, you know, you struggled with an eating disorder and now you're working in food. There is something so unbelievably like strength driven in that. And you're like, screw this eating disorder. I'm going to like be successful with food. I'm going to love it. I'm going to learn to like, you know, change, change my whole relationship around it. And yeah, it's badass. Yeah. It's like similar to what you said earlier about like, of course you chose the most challenging thing for you. I kind of love that though, because it pushes you like you wouldn't have pushed yourself to this point if you didn't like hit food straight on being like, I'm just going to fully like, this is my career now. And I think with a lot of people working in careers that are feel difficult or feel triggering, you sometimes have to go through the muck to get out on the other side. And mm -hmm. it's not always easy and it's not, uh, you're healed. It's always like a, a linear non-linear ebb and flow situation but I think that by leaning into um like leaning into your vulnerability you found strength through that which is awesome yeah it's definitely been quite the journey but again super grateful for it um because it's just like it's something that I never would have predicted would have happened so to go kind of back to um content creation and you know, for people who are looking to get into this as a profession, um, do you have any advice for anyone who is trying to start a food account right now? Ooh, um, okay. Two pieces of advice. Make sure to start on TikTok and also get on Reels because we're in like a content creation um, time period that we'll never be in again. Like the exposure that you can get, it might not be the same as it was early on, but the exposure is still incredible. I'm scrolling on my reels all the time and I'm seeing content from people with 6,000 followers, like 10,000 followers. And that content is amazing. And I think it goes into what I said about when I first discovered TikTok, like no other time have we been able to get computer generated content and see it um, like we do now. So that's my first big piece of advice. My second big piece of advice is people might rush you to define your niche really quickly. Um, I'm just going to say create what you love. The niche will come. I have now been in maybe seven to 10 different niches. Um, <laughs> and I feel really good about not deciding. Uh, and I feel like I finally settled where I want to settle, which is just making 
real food that I'm really um, excited to share from mostly from scratch ingredients that makes you feel good, but I never ever decided to stick to one niche because I feel like that kind of stunts exploration. And then my last thing, if you think you need to like make your aesthetic better or like get more things, don't get too caught up in it. I can see the most aesthetic videos ever without a unique point of view do horribly. And I can see the most grainy kitchen videos with such a fun, unique interesting take or point of view do amazingly uh my example the viral pesto eggs oh yeah if you find the original video for that just some woman in her kitchen and it just popped off i love that so yeah that's what i would say that's great so helpful i'm like i'm inspired (laughs) i need to make more (laughs) reels again (laughs) so on the other side of advice Because we've all, you know, given people advice on, you know, how to do Instagram or TikTok. But a lot of that comes with people copying us. So how do you deal with, you know, you have a very distinct editing and ASMR and voiceover style, you know, your bright colors, all of that stuff. How, How does it feel when you see someone essentially doing the exact same thing that you're doing? How do you handle that? people do the same types of video shots as me and people would tag me on TikTok. And I obviously don't gatekeep it because ASMR is wildly popular. My first ASMR video was actually uh, captioned ASMR, not just for the boys anymore, because only these like men with big knives oh, yeah. were doing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the woods. So <laughs> yeah, actually. And so I, I am a copier, if you want to put it that way. So I think in this world where we kind of build off of imitating each other, we can't really get too mad about copying. Mm -hmm. And also there's a personality behind every content creator. And you can take every single recipe I've put on the internet, film it in the exact same style and upload it to your account, but you're still not going to have my personality behind it, it's not going to be the exact same. So I've just realized that a lot of times imitation can only take you so far. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am trying to tell this to myself right now as I get bogged down in comparison. But no matter what you do, you can never completely fully imitate a style. So that's also what I tell myself when I see imitation across platforms. Like they... Anybody can try to imitate something, but it's never, ever going to be 100% the same. It's so true. We are all inspired by each other. You know, it's like I've, I'm a musician as well, and I'm so inspired by Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton and all of these early 2000s artists. But that's, that's the beautiful thing about art is I'm, I'm making it my own, but there's like a twinge of them in there. But it is, it is a hard, um, thing to move past when you see it so blatantly and there's almost you can tell when there's a disrespect to it where it's like someone does not respect like your your vision or your brand like we've had a pug account in the past quite literally copy the exact same costume the day that it was posted the caption that it was posted it was this whole thing I have like a PDF of 
50 times where it happened. It was honestly pretty weird. So in instances like that, that is not okay because that's your your IP, your <laughs> yeah. mind's yeah. work. <laughs> but, you know, there's always going to be people who are inspired by your style and just want to emulate what you're – and, you know, we've got to be flattered. It's a hard thing to be flattered by, but I think we'll all be able to look one back, back one day and be like, oh, wait, no, that's pretty cool. I try to sound all kumbaya about it, but like stuff like that really hits. And especially I get tagged sometimes and they're like, this recipe inspired by blank. And I'm like, that's mm. that's not inspired by. That's that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's true. I I recipes are it's a formula that you created. Like you that's can't really your... copyright them though, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's hard to like with with cheese. I mean, my book literally tells you step by step how to make cheese plates, exactly how I make them. So I can't be surprised when I see the similar style everywhere. The thing that I guess tips it over the edge for me is when people make like the exact plate from the book and then sell it for their catering company. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, can you just change one thing? Just one. But I agree. Oh. I think it's a a very powerful point you made about how, you know, you are behind your content, your personality, your creativity, your mind, like no one can, no one has been on the same journey, no one has the same experiences, like, only you can do that. And I think just remembering that, and also knowing that it's like the free market out there, like we are just completely recycling, changing, uh, inspired by, it's like, you you can't stop and get mad at it because it will drive you crazy if you continuously mm-hmm. like look at all these people and compare yourself and just feel imposter syndrome, et cetera. Um, and for that point, and this is something that I think we can all touch upon. Um, it's just a question that I think about all the time and I wonder what you both think about. Um, do you ever get nervous about the ever-changing nature of social media and do you believe that it's a reliable profession in the long run? Cause I don't know. <laughs> I, okay. I will. I was, I was talking to my boyfriend right before this podcast taping and I was like, I wish I was in a better headspace because I was thinking about this exact thing. Um, because everybody tells you like, you have to diversify, you have to expand. And I am on YouTube. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. And I'm like, I feel very diversified but I also don't feel diversified at all because people are then like, well, you also need to be writing a book and you also need to have a monetized like newsletter and don't forget merch, like all of these things. Um, But when you think about it, every single thing stems back to having an online social presence. Mm -hmm. So if that goes away, that's where things get really, really scary And I think you mentioned this on one of your earlier podcasts, the moment when Trump was like, oh, I'm going to get rid of TikTok. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's horrifying that like now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, things really are nowhere in our control. Mm -hmm. And you can argue that for any job in corporate America, like your company can get bought and you can get laid off at any moment. Um, And I always have faith in the fact that I can translate any of these skills back into corporate America or just capitalism if I need to. (laughs) Um, But it does scare me because it gives me the mentality of, oh, I should always be doing more. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's not healthy or sustainable. So I don't have a direct answer. I do know that it's something I think about. on an unhealthy basis. Yeah, same. 
I feel like recently I've been saying that I want to take my Beyonce hiatus, aka what pop stars do when they are in between albums. And so Beyonce disappears. We're like, where is she? She's gone for months and then she comes back with a new album. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do my Beyonce hiatus before my next book comes out. But then I'm like, I can't do that because then my engagement will go down. Like all of the, you're right. Like the social media presence is the, the, like the system of what everything comes out from. Like the reason why I have a book is because of social media. So it's like, you can't just take a break from it. And I've been like dealing with the same thing of like, how nice would it be to just be able to shut it all off for like six months and then come back. But I'm terrified as to what would happen because I have no idea, you know? Do you ever think, I'm going to challenge you a bit on that. Do you ever think that's a narrative you're telling yourself? For sure. Oh, yeah. It's all my okay. my self-criticism and my demons coming out and my need for validation. And that's why I like social media is such a big part of my life because this validation I get is like serotonin. And mm-hmm. yeah, this could be episode bonus content. But yeah, it's hard. It's like I, I have a very irrational fear that if I disappear from social media, people will forget about me. And this is someone who has a best-selling cookbook and, you know, followers and started a trend. I feel this way too. So it's like everyone feels this way. And it's like such a difficult um, business to work in because of that. Mm-hmm. The thing, the person I point everybody to when they tell, I have so, I have so many people. I think all of my friends have told me like, I just want to quit for like a month. Like just take like that much time off, but we all have the same fear. But I point everybody to the pasta queen. Oh yes, I think she has like 1.2 million. She disappeared off the face of the earth for four months. Very European of her. I think she was just working on her book <laughs> like, and my taking holiday. photos in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's back and better than ever. Wow. So it's mm-hmm. like, and but it, but everybody tells themselves like, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I'm not at that level. It's just, it's it's all our perfectionism and being in our own heads. I think it would be an issue for all of us if we didn't have these fears, you know, if we were just like, this is all going to be forever and no worries. But I, I will say, you know, taking taking time for ourselves and to be away from the internet, even if it's for a few days or a weekend, it is so necessary because without that space, we're not going to know what it is we need to do to diversify mm-hmm. and what what those plans look like. If we're trapped in the world of our phone, that's all we're going to see when there really is still you know, a whole world out there where people are consuming things in other ways that aren't their phone. Um, but it is so impossible at times to like believe that it will all be okay if we put it away for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. Man. Oh, life. Oh, oh life. social media. Well, Justine, thank you so much for coming on. This has like been a therapy session for me, and I feel like so much lighter now that we can talk about all this. Uh, the best. I was going to say, this is very cathartic. I'm very glad you guys had me on. <laughs> so, Justine, where can people find you on the internet? Um, well, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram. That's where I'm most active. I'm at Justine underscore snacks. You can also find me at Justine Snacks on YouTube, JustineSnacks.com. And don't forget Pinterest. Yes. No surprise that the name is Justine Snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Everyone go follow Justine. And if you have any sort of questions about content creation, food styling, etc., 
hit us up, Diving In Pod on Instagram, and we will see you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Diving In. This show is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is by Rob Schinelli. As always, if you liked this episode, please share us with your friends and family and give us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button to be reminded when a new episode comes out. If you have any questions for the show, our email is info at divingin.community. To stay up to date with all things Diving In, you can follow us on Instagram at divinginpod or visit us online by going to divingin.community. See you next time.